Today's episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to twoman.robinhood.com. That's twoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for the first Two Man Advantage podcast of 2020. And this is like podcast-a-looza. This is a podcast extravaganza as we begin, begin 2020 and coinciding with the midpoint, give or take, of the NHL season. Pierre Lebrun, as always, joining. But this is what makes this special. Uncharted territory as we smash together... Two of my favorite podcasts, The Full 60 with Craig Custance and, of course, Two Man Advantage with Pierre and I. And we're all we're going to do this together. We're going to do a couple of segments. And, Craig, welcome. Welcome to the club. That feels like old times I like again. how you said – I like how five minutes ago you were like, what's your podcast name again, Craig? I, 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 and, then, and, then, and then it's like, okay, hit record. My favorite because <laughs> I'm just teasing. So. I am so excited to do this. I always, I always liked when you know you. I, when I was growing up, there'd be like a sitcom, and like some a character from another sitcom would show up, and you know it would be like pandemonium. Like, that's how I feel showing up on your podcast. Like I'm, I'm like I, I showed up right, in the so, wrong. So set. you're like uh, it's like when Laverne from Laverne and Shirley <laughs> went on Happy Days. Yeah, that's right. I'm really that's showing exactly my what, age. I'm kind of like really Laverne. showing that's my right. age. Well, that's, that's, funny. that's the example I was going to use. A, a '70s sitcom. <laughs> I was going to mention <laughs> when the Fresh Prince of Bel Air showed up on Blossom or. I didn't even realize this. I actually had to look it up. Uh, Mr. Robot, there was an appearance by Alf. So that was even, that's wholly crossing what? the country. Yeah, it's really crossing the stream. So, but no, um, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, basically, it, my, the way I look at our podcast is my podcast is essentially the Frasier to your cheers. Like I spun <laughs> off the full 60 after the ESPN split off. So that's like. So I feel like I'm Frazier, and you guys are cheer, cheer you, like it's like a it's a bar where everyone knows your name, your podcast. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so let's get right to it. Right, it, we're uh, what we're talking about today, and and it's a good time to to be uh, tuning in and to read the Athletic because uh, there's so much to unpack from the first half of the 2019. 
2020 season and and how it impacts what we're going to see now as we rush headlong into the trade deadline period and then right after that the the playoff races which once again shaping up to be pretty zany uh pierre I, let's start with you i i don't know that there's much debate that the first half of the season is is all about uh the culture around the nhl and and specifically the 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 um you know the the chaos of of the NHL coaching world. It's it has been almost unprecedented in terms of what has happened within the coaching ranks, and including leading right up to you know forty eight hours before we were taping this, when David Poyle, who is among the most measured of all NHL GMs, uh, relieved Peter Laviolette of his duties as head coach and brought in John Hines, who of course had been earlier dismissed by Ray Shiro in New Jersey. When you think of the first half of this season. And maybe what, you know, how it bleeds into what you expect in the second half. What what comes to mind for you? Well, what a perfect tee up! I didn't I didn't even tell you, Scotty, that I tracked down Peter Laviolette uh, last night, and nice. uh, I have a column coming out in the Athletic. It probably by the time this airs it will already been published, and uh, Peter Laviolette discussing his firing with me from the Predators, and um, part of what we got into. And he's not uh, listen. He he's in. Solid spirits. He's ready to coach again. Uh, he gets that it's a business. Loved his time in Nashville. You'll you'll see that some pretty uh, some pretty strong thoughts from him. But we did get into just what you touched on the the, the parity in this league, which is crazier than ever, um, punctuated by the sixty two win Lightning getting swept last spring. I think has really put a bullseye on coaches because parity is great because everyone has a chance. And I remember a GM once told me this back in 2005 when the NHL adopted a salary cap. He said, you know what? Here's the <laughs> here's the issue. Your owner is going to think that, well, if everyone is tied, why aren't you in? <laughs> like, <laughs> like right. it, you have to be on the right side of the 50% rule. And, and I think that, you know, the Predators, I think because of their Stanley Cup expectations and, and listen... Why? Why wouldn't they? Right? They, they've been the window's been open for a while. When you're not that team, someone pays the price, and in this case, certainly Peter Laviolette. He couldn't get this team going. He understands that. But my point is, why did we think Nashville, on paper, is that much better than a whole bunch of other teams in this league right now? I mean, honestly, it's it's. I I, I don't think people like this narrative because I think people want to know about tiers and elite teams and talent gaps. Guys, I'm telling you, the difference between the top 20 teams in this league has never been smaller than than it is right now. And by the way, I like, and I've had this discussion with you. I, I don't think that's great. I'm not a fan of it. Just for the record, I want that. Like, what don't you yes, like? Yes, it makes it, it competitive. I don't like. I don't like that there's not great teams, and I, I don't like that these that that you know there's you have about a three year window or a four year window or whatever it is to really truly be great and then you got to tear it down and and start over and and we go we you know we may go 10 years without seeing Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves be relevant players in the playoffs you know what i mean i, I don't i don't think it's mm-hmm. great but anyways well, well it's it's, fu- it's funny you say that Craig because i in the q and a i did it with Julian Breesbois during the holidays we we had this back and forth about whether he thought GM should build teams differently now because of mm-hmm. this parity. In other words, instead of putting all your eggs in one basket for a three-year or four-year window, is the bottle not now more about sustainability? Yeah. Of just hanging in with a decent core, but knowing that 
you keep replenishing it with draft picks that you're no longer trading away going for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is the idea now to make sure you stay in that 20 and hope I hope you catch lightning in a bottle? I don't know. It's I think that's debate. essentially what Doug Armstrong has done with the Blues. Like, every year it was, okay, what's the best? We, we have our guys, but what's the best thing for the long, like, four years from now? All right, if we have to trade Kevin Shattenkirk, we have to trade Kevin, you know what I mean? Right. There was... While the sitting time, in a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. sitting in a playoff spot. And, and to, to some extent, um, yeah. the Sharks have done that. And they've, you know, the and, but I just, like, I, I like teams pushing in. Like, I was even thinking about that today, you know, about the trade deadline coming up and all that. Like, I, I think there is going to be more, you know, the, the payoff for a rental isn't there. And we'll get into this in my podcast, so I don't want to mm-hmm. dive into it. But I, it's just not as exciting, like, you know, to sit there and go, okay, we're just going to try to, it's about five years constantly in sustainability. I, like that's, I don't think it's as fun. Well, it's gonna, it's gonna really hurt the trade deadline. Is what's gonna happen, and and I think it's already started to happen. I mean, Breeze Boy said that he he just finished recently completing a ten year study of the trade deadline, which of course he would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and he said that basically it's unbelievable how overrated the trade deadline is. Right. Yeah. You really shouldn't trade a first for a rental. But anyway, <laughs> right. all right. Well, I don't want to <laughs> no, hijack this thing. I think, but it, but it is interesting, and I think to Pierre's point, that's you know, I mean, it's not just the it's not the expectations that are on on individual coaches. And, and listen, I, you know, I take a little bit of issue with with your comments about Nashville, Pierre, because that team should be way better than it is, right? I look at that team and I look at the talent that's assembled there and you can quibble with, you know, has David Poyle, has he somehow missed the mark in terms of leadership or in terms of, you know, whatever the structural problems there were, is it just partly a function of Pecorine becoming older and UC Saros not necessarily being the guy, whatever it is, that's a really good team, right? That's a really good team. They, they got a good Roman Yossi who you know, is going to be in the Norris Trophy discussion, although, frankly, if they miss the playoffs, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, I, I think John Hines is a great coach, and I think he's he's going to work in Nashville, but, man, they have dug themselves quite a hole. Um, you know, that's a good team, and, and they should be better. Uh, they should be better than a lot of teams that are ahead of them in the standings right now. So, But, but the frustrating part for me is that coaches, because trades are so hard to make now in season, June has become the new trade deadline, right? right? Yeah. So the in-season trades, at least the the ones that matter, are harder than ever to make because of the salary cap, LTIR, and everything else, and the parity. Frankly, the coaches are eating it now, right? I, I, I mean, we had the one year where no one got fired, but otherwise, it's pretty much always the coaches is the easy fix. And why? And, and I get it because most coaching changes do produce uh, a, a turnaround. But what bugs me about both Peter Laviolette and Peter DeBoer getting fired two of the great coaches in the game is that their veteran starting goalie stop, stop stopping pucks. I mean, yeah, no, right. You know, I mean, honestly, like the save percentage goes down. So let's fire these coaches that have like a million wins. I don't know. It's yeah. just the whole thing. Is well, yeah. I mean, you, make, sometimes. you can make that argument that the, you know, one of the main reasons that John Hines gets fired in New Jersey is because the goaltending, you know, they made the devils just, they went one direction, hoping the goaltending would be, a and it be turned out to be F and you know John Hines is 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 a victim of that. But let, let's let's spin it forward. Though. Uh, I won't tolerate any Corey Schneider. Um, I, I'm not throwing Corey <laughs> Schneider under the bus, but it, you know it, it, it uh, on, didn't turn on out any podcast, mine or otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I and we both there we've all sort of referenced St. Louis 
you know, in, in passing as in the early part of this podcast, but Pierre and, and Craig, what happened last year, I am assuming only gives fuel to the fire of if you're an owner, you know, and a GM having a discussion about your underachieving team, <laughs> everyone points to St. Louis and go, well, get rid of your coach. Might as well win a Stanley Cup, right? Like, and so, yeah. so no uh, question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious, given all of the, uh, all of the shifting within the coaching world, six coaches uh, dismissed basically by midseason. Um, is there a St. Louis in the group? And, and Craig, because you're a guest here in our podcast, in our home, uh, start with you. Is is there of the coaching changes that have happened thus far? And you look at where teams have gone and maybe some of the, you know, I mean, obviously Sheldon Keefe in Toronto. Is there a team that you're like, you know what? Come late May, early June, we may be talking St. Louis Redux in terms of a potential Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think Nashville, maybe it's just because it's fresh uh, and it just happened, is to me is the best candidate. Because if you look at some of the, like San Jose has dug themselves a pretty deep hole. Um, and you know, they it, just it, it's still town. unbelievable, Craig. I know I, I, it like, really I, is. I no longer, I no longer think they obviously can win the cup. We've seen too much. The sample size is big enough to know that they've got issues, but they should be at least a playoff bubble team in the race. Oh my Absolutely. gosh, I can't. I mean, it's crazy. It, it is, and and you know, in talking to them, like they, like it's it's the same sharks as they always been. Like you talk to Joe Thornton or you talk to Brent Burtz. Like there's still this, there's still this calm and confidence and and they're like look we're gonna get it together and it you know and it's like well okay but you know we're 45 games in here you know it might be time to and then that that loss the other night you know it looks like okay that's a nice win and all of a sudden the wheels just fall off oh like I, i don't know how you you may have all the veteran experience in the world i don't know how you bounce back from that and and so um but again like to Pierre's initial point, like not to oversimplify that, but the goaltending in San Jose hasn't been good for a while now. And, and like, you can change coaches all you want. Um, and you know, Martin Jones is, is, is going to have a sub 900 save percentage. You're not going to make the playoffs. So, but like, so I, I would say maybe I would have thought that I, I just, I was really surprised. Like Pete DeBoer to me is a top five coach. And so like, I'm sitting there going, boy, I don't know if the coach is a problem there. Um, I think Nashville has potential. I think John Hines, you, you know, is a good coach that was done in, like you said, Scotty, by goaltending. So I would say they're probably the best example of that because some of the other teams, like, you know, you look in the East, uh, you know, Jersey, like they're they're toast. Um, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of teams there that you sit there and go, okay, I think they, they, they can make a run here. Are you, but, so are you I, discounting I would, I would Toronto? I, I'm just curious. I, I, oh, I, Toronto. Gosh, yeah. I've already forgotten about that. <laughs> I know Sheldon Keefe has been rumored to be the head coach for so long we thought he was, but no. And Was that this year? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, Toronto's, Toronto's great. He may be the coach of the year, Sheldon Keefe. It's, ama- it's amazing. Uh, you know, I talked to Peter Livellette about this. Imagine having a season in which Mike Babcock, Peter Livellette, and Peter DeBoer get fired. Are you talking about like what? Like I don't have the list in front of me. Where were those three guys standing yeah. all time coaching victories? Like they were all in your book, I think, right, Craig? Or <laughs> I know about four of the yeah, the books and tatters now. Um, uh, but so to me, that's interesting because I, I don't know who's next in line in terms of wanting to make a change. But you know, sometimes at this time of year, when there's a coaching change to be made, we go, yeah, but really, who can you who's who can you bring in to to really right the ship at this point? You know, all the good <laughs> coaches are taken or under contract or whatever. And now you can be like, well, we could, you could add a hall of famer if you'd like, 
you can do that. You can, you know, add arguably the best American coach to ever coach, or one of the best. You know, you can do that if you'd like. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. I was surprised, uh, and again, you know, you, you you can't take anything from social media, but I was a bit surprised at sort of the buzz, especially after Peter Laviolette was dismissed. And Craig, to your point, you know, people, you know, following the New York Rangers, maybe disappointed in in the relatively. Uh, I don't know whether it's even a slow pace of um, uh, of their evolution. It's they're a young team. They got a million different new new moving parts, and there's a lot going on with the Rangers. Uh, we saw the goaltender of the future get a win over Colorado the night before we taped this. Uh, Shesterkin, whose name I am not pronouncing correctly, but um, sorry about that. Um, but you know, people go, well, what if what if the Rangers had Peter Laviolette? Like, what if you brought him in to replace Dave Quinn? And I was like, wait a minute, I, is that part, I don't that can't be part of the plan, is it? But I think to your point, all of a sudden, when you have a guy who's, you know, you look at Peter Laviolette's track record and Stanley Cup win in Carolina and going to the final in Nashville and in Philadelphia. I mean, there is a guy who is he knows how to coach, and whatever happened in Nashville happened there. But I, and Pierre, maybe you can speak to this too with your conversations to with GMs around the league that to me sets up that's the kind of domino that you, that gets set up because you're now you ha, now you have a guy who's out there who who might be able to come in and and make that kind of immediate impact that we were talking about before so yeah no i it, there'd be a few coaches looking over their shoulder when you have the quality of a Pete DeBoer and the quality of a Peter Laviolette. I mean, Peter Laviolette, it was the lead of my column. <laughs> I said, in most places, if you make the playoffs five straight years, you're probably okay, right? <laughs> but that's, again, expectations. And uh, and again, Mike Babcock, still a great coach, despite, you know, his reputation took a hit on his way out of Toronto, which often happens with most guys leaving Toronto. But um, he'll resurface when he's ready. And I don't think you know, unlike whereas I think the Boer and Laviolette would look at something before the end of the year if it, if it was the right fit. I think Mike Babcock wants to wait, uh, but believe me, um, there are teams that reached out. My understanding is on Babcock in, in the weeks after his firing, so don't be confused by what you think has happened or not happened as far as his reputation. Um, it, it you know. Th- to Craig's point, I don't know. I'm looking at the standings now, and I feel like a lot of the changes have happened, right? I'm sure with the Habs on another uh, tailspin now that people wonder about Claude Julien. First of all, the injuries have crippled that team. It's got nothing to do with coaching. Um, and it just it makes, it makes so little sense to even look at that. He's done some of his best coaching ever this year with that team, quite frankly. Um, and again, as much as Carey Price and Shea Weber want to win now, I think we understand what's going on there with that franchise as far as all the youth that's coming and, and the pretty exciting prospects. So it's, it's you know, making the playoffs would have been a nice cherry on the Sunday for them this year, especially in that market. But, uh, it, you know, I think we understand the bigger plan there. Let me, so I just, I want to move on. I want to talk about, you know, maybe some of uh, where you see the awards uh, picture coming into focus at the midpoint and, and some of that. But I, I want to ask, just to leave the coaching, if you're Ron Francis, the GM in Seattle, does all that's transpired here, does it give you pause in when you might like to, you know, have a coach in-house and ready to start 
you know, building and scouting and you're on the same page. Uh, we saw that with David Poyle and Barry Trotz and certainly with Gerard Gallant and, um, and George McPhee in Vegas. Or do you think because of the fluidity of the coaching market, does that mean you're, if you're Ron Francis, you're waiting, maybe you wait a year <laughs> before you, you name your first coach or Craig, what do, you, do you think it affects it? Especially given, to Pierre's point, you got Pete DeBoer, you got Peter Laviolette. Those are both solid track record guys. Um, what? Well, Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock. Coach, uh, yeah, yeah. Coach in Spokane would actually would, you know, yeah. would, would fit the narrative pretty good there too. Yeah. Yeah. What, like to me, it just comes down to philosophy of the organization. Um, A, does the are the, do the guys available fit exactly the kind of culture and the way you want to play and then b what's what's your philosophy like how urgently do you need a coach right when the team's not playing for a while right so i you know what if they hire mike babcock right now what's really he gonna do for a while i I don't know you know I, i would i would keep all my options open if i'm seattle but again when when is the when is the pool gonna get any better than it is right now i don't know well, I reported this back in the fall, and, and I don't know whether it's changed or not, but at the time, someone with Seattle told me that their plan at the time was that they would hire a coach somewhere between January of 21 and June of 21, so in that six-month window, which is uh, a year away at the start of it anyway. Yeah. You know, now, whether they feel they should jumpstart that because of the quality available right now, I, the, I mean, let's just be blunt about it. A lot of this is that they don't want to pay a coach – millions of dollars to do nothing for a whole year <laughs> so um so i i think and and the you know and if they're not willing to hire before january 21 which i think is wise by the way you know DeBoer and DeBoer certainly uh, i've traded messages with him a couple times and certainly my conversation with peter laviolette those guys want to be back on the saddle before then no question Right, like these guys would probably go crazy sitting there for, you know. Now, the one thing, you mentioned paying these guys. Have we ever seen or examined, and I guess we'd have to talk to the league about this, how far you could push the envelope in terms of what the salary structure could be for a guy who's already being paid by his last team? That's a great point because both, (laughs) because here's why it's, both LaViolette and DeBoer are paid through next season. Yeah. So, So they're paid through June 30th. 21 by their teams that have fired them 22 so, yeah yeah oh yeah 21 but sorry. yeah yeah 21 but so they have a year and a half left on their deals both of them um however to craig's point the traditional i don't know i don't know if it's a rule or a custom or you never know but as soon as you hire someone you take over that salary traditionally yeah but what if you're just like hey i'll you know i'll we'll do half you know, we'll get it at fifty percent off, and if oh, you're the other point. team, it's half less than you're paying. Good point. Yeah. Uh, all right. So as we move along here on this special edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, or as we like to call it for this brief moment, Three Man Advantage. Um, I, I'm curious what you guys think of uh, of the awards picture this year. Whether it's different, the land. It's all yeah. It's never easy, right? The three of us have been voting for for many years on on the major awards um i do like i love the heart trophy discussion in large part this year because you know Connor mcdavid coming off I, pierre were you in the house when Connor mcdavid scored 
that incredible golden I, 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 I was in the same city, but I was yeah, in the TSN studios right. working uh, oh, the Montreal, Winnipeg. Right. Yeah, but, that, but believe me, we have all we have all the screens up in our studio, and as soon as that goal went in, the, everyone in the studio just started gushing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. But of course, you've got Connor McDavid, you've got Leon Draisaitl, one two two one for most of the season in terms of scoring, and and really, you know, given the the Oilers ongoing scoring depth issues dragging that team and they're currently as we speak today hanging on to third place in the pacific division but they did drop out of the playoff bubble within the last week or two so they're they're touch and go um and then sort of a really interesting you know boston's a really good team david pasternak's uh, looks like he's gonna win the rocket richard trophy you've got brad marchand um, I like that you're just giving it to him well no yeah. Yeah, well, no, I'm just saying. I guess Austin, Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon have no chance of catching him, apparently. Well, see, well, and that's... that's or, the, or Alex Ovechkin, the well, young guy in Washington there, well, Alex Ovechkin. Well, John Carlson, uh, a guy who I spent some time with in Tampa not too long ago, a piece on John Carlson coming out in the in the next few days. But uh, there there are lots of different dynamics, and, and, and uh, Craig, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, for me, if I'm looking at the Hart Trophy... And I started with the Oilers and, and McDavid and Dreisaitl because that's that's where a lot of the focus is. But for me, if they fall out of the playoffs, and I think they are, you know, what what do you give their chances at staying in the playoffs uh, given some of the issues that confront them, including goaltending? And, I, I, I think they're okay given that division. That's, that's the crappiest division in the league. Yeah. It's pretty uh, bad. Well, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But, you know, you've got Calgary, Vancouver... You know, yeah, there's a mishmash of teams there. Okay, so okay, so if they if they if they, <laughs> I stay, knew you were gonna get there, Scotty. I just needed you to yeah, read it. No, I'm okay. just saying. Okay, so if they're in the playoffs, and for me, then okay, then I view that I view the Hart Trophy completely differently than if they're out. If they're out, you I, shouldn't. Oh, you don't think so? Okay, I'll I'll go last, but you'll, no, you'll go find ahead. Out no, why. I, I think you're right on it. So you think that a team that can't make it into the top 16 in the NHL? No. Nope. They're a player that they're heart they're a heart trophy win. Okay. Unless they change the definition of the heart trophy, and Craig knew I was going to go here. Unless they <laughs> change the definition of the heart trophy, how can you pick between McDavid and Drysaddle? Right. So you're saying neither of them should get it, or what? You, uh, what are you saying? Well, but who? But who are you picking? Uh, I'm Connor McDavid. Okay. All right, Nathan uh, McKinnon. To me, it's kind of, like I get Nathan what you're McKinnon saying here. is a heart trophy winner. I mean, right now, uh, like, and there's like, no I discussion. Think- I, I, what's that? What'd you say? Nathan McKinnon's the Hart Trophy winner right now. It's mm. not even a debate. I, well, <laughs> well I would, it sort I of is a debate. It is a debate. It is a debate. Because I think it's Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid's having the most outstanding season in the NHL. He's the greatest player in the world. He's having the most outstanding season. But I don't know that you could argue that he's the most valuable player because of what Leon Dreisaitl has done. Nathan McKinnon had to carry the Avs for two months when half their roster was injured. Yeah, That's I fine. I, like I understand the wording of the award, and I like, and I really wish it wasn't worded the way it is. And there's nothing we can do about that. I, I think to I, so because of the way the the award is worded, my what I like to do is subtract that person from the lineup and say, okay, most important to this team, whatever. The, if you take Connor McDavid away from the Oilers, I know I know Dreisaitl's been great, and I know there's not an equivalent on Colorado. But if you take Connor McDavid away from the Oilers, holy smokes, man. Like, that team, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, like, if you take McKinnon away from Colorado, is it that much different? And and then factor in the fact oh that Connor gosh. McDavid is the best player in the world. Like, 
and it, it's Co- ridiculous. Colorado minus Nathan McKinnon this year might be 20 points below in the standings. Wow. We don't know that. <laughs> you could have said that about the Penguins and Sidney Crosby. And well, and, and this goes back to the problem that we've had as a, as a voting constituency over the years when Malkin and Crosby have both had great years at the same time, right? I mean, it's hurt Crosby. Sidney Crosby is the greatest player of his generation. How many heart trophies has he won? I don't right. know that answer. How many heart trophies has he won? No, I could look it up. We're all Googling now. I know. Yeah. But I, I guess my point was, and it, I, I, I completely get where you're at, and I think it's a fascinating dilemma. And I'm with you, Pierre. Listen, Nathan McKinnon, you know, especially in the last two or three weeks, um, and he's been great all year. And that's it. The answer is two. Okay. There you the go. greatest player of his generation, Sidney Crosby, has won two Hart trophies. Okay. So. And we know why. Because the vote splitting always confused the voting base, right? Yeah. I guess my point is, if if the Oilers fall out of the playoffs, are either McDavid or Dreisaitl in your top three? That's that's the question I have. Right. We know McDavid's or that McKinnon's going to be in the playoffs. He's going to be in the top three. I, I I don't doubt that a bit. But if you take the Oilers out of the playoffs, are they in your top three? Do they deserve that? Yeah, well, that's another good debate too. I, here's the thing. I to me that ends up being a that ends up helping make the decision, right? So if you're sitting there going. I disagree with Pierre when he says it's not a debate. I, like if, to me, the debate is Connor McDavid. I mean, and Drysdale too. But let's 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 take it down to McDavid versus McKinnon. Now all of a sudden you're like, okay, now you're looking. It's like the year it was Taylor Hall versus McKinnon. You're look you're looking for you start yeah, talking when, when McKinnon should have won. McKinnon should have won. I think agreed. I had McKinnon won. I did too. Um, at least I'm going to say that now because I do feel like he should have won. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I then I think it it helps form your it helps break ties or whatever but like that but I I just I hate when the wording of the award like completely rewires re- the intent of the award I guess yeah no it's it, I mean listen Wayne Gretzky won one two three four five six seven eight heart trophies in a row I think with nine overall. I might be wrong about that, but eight in a row. I got the list in front of me from 1980 through 1987. Best player in the world, best player ever. And the voters back then, and that was before all of us started our careers, obviously. Clearly, the voters back then didn't get too bogged down by the fact that Mark Messier and Yeri Curry and Glenn Anderson and Paul Coffey and Grant Fuhrer played on his team. Yeah. Right? They just said, hey, this is the best player in the world and he should win the heart. Um, but. Over the course of time, and certainly since I've been covering the NHL since 1995, which is around the same time for both of you, the interpretation of the heart, most valuable player, has been really serious. Like People have really taken that to heart. I mean, Jose Theodore winning in 2002 because the Habs were a terrible team and he carried them into the playoffs, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean people have really looked at the heart trophy and said it's got to be the MVP. I think we have to ask ourselves a question. Is that fair to Connor McDavid? Connor McDavid is by himself on a pedestal right now. He is the best player in the world. He's having the best season in the NHL. But should we penalize him that Leon Dreisaitl is also awesome? Well, I think I the question... No. Yeah, well, and I think the question is... So here, I'll make a prediction right now. I think if the Oilers make the playoffs then Connor McDavid is going to win the heart. And I'm I'm completely at ease with that. But if they don't make the playoffs, 
And Connor McDavid wins a Hart Trophy ahead of Nathan McKinnon or Brad Marchand or John Carlson or whoever else you want to put in that list, I think that's wrong. That's not how I would vote. Well, how about this? What if the Sabres somehow yep. make the playoffs? Yeah. Well, yeah, Jack Eichel's where, where, where for sure. Where does that put that, Jack Eichel, who but, literally is carrying that team? Yeah, no. He, okay, he, back to definition here, right? Yeah. If if the Sabres make the playoffs, Jack Eichel's going to be in my top three. Now, they're, here's the dilemma. Sabres and Oilers both make the playoffs. Now that becomes, now you're talking real crunch time for the voting group, I think. But it, And really, because, if we wanted to be like this, you could just sit there and pick the goalie that had the best year that carried his team. Every year there's one guy and say, boy, if you subtract Connor Hellebuck from the Jets, they're, you know, with that D, they're, they're not particularly good. So, like, I, I don't know. I feel like yeah, no, I, and, and most fascinating of all, to all of this, and again, we all agree about Connor McDavid's excellent year and, and and the fact that he stands alone in terms of his talent. Interestingly, McKinnon, who has had to carry his team a bit more through the injuries, as we tape this, is now drawn to within four points of McDavid, which, you know, for a while looked like the two Edmonton guys were going to run away with the scoring title. And now McKinnon has closed the gap, which, again, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to have this debate, I think, in the second half of the year. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, we're nearing the end of the first part of Podcast uh, Palooza, and specifically the end of this edition of Two Man Advantage. Uh, and I like to do this. We don't do it every week, Pierre, and I wish I, sometimes we just run out of time. But I want to do a little word association before we... Before we close things out here, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you, I'll start with Craig because he's the guest. Uh, I'll give you a name. Tell me what you think, maybe what happens, what your impressions are, and uh, and uh, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll have some fun, a little word association to close things out. You, you okay with that? You with Great. me? Yep. All right, Craig. All right, Craig, we're going to start with you. Dustin Bufflin. Oh, man. Oh. I just thought I, I'd give you an easy one. Boy, like what a what a what a story that I think has been undercovered. Is this supposed to be a quick answer? Because I That's right. like that that D. It's pretty amazing that Winnipeg is where they are right now. Considering you know, I was talking, I was doing some trade deadline stuff, and I was talking to somebody. I'm like about another defenseman. Like, how does Winnipeg not add a D? Like they basically have an AHL defense in this person's opinion. And I, like I think his absence has been huge and. I, I, you know, and it's really hard to get any information out of that, you know, what's going on there. But um, I, if I'm looking for a word to, to match Dustin, I just would say, you know, it's just been a gaping loss for the Jets. In that deep. That's more than one word. Yeah, it is. But and so I want to I'll, I'll let Pierre <laughs> ch- chime in on on Craig's word association. But c- can you imagine a scenario where Dustin Bufflin comes back to the Winnipeg Jets? I'll, I'll tell you, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and they were like you know how does that work in the dressing room or does Kevin Chevel day off assuming that Dustin Bufflin gets to a point where he either wants to or is physically able to come back and play can you have him in in that lineup after he basically you know after all that unfolded he walked away left the team in a yeah. big lurch can can he come no back the there? Jets have uh the Jets have indicated that they would take him back just so we're all on the same page yeah no um, yeah but can it, how does how does that work given what happened? Well, I mean, listen, he was a really popular guy in that room. I mean, he's you know when Blake Wheeler was the serious serious captain. Now, now Blake has come in our podcast and yeah. talk about how he's changed his leadership style and loosened up a bit. But 
when Blake was Mr. Serious, you know, by all accounts, Dustin Bufflin was needed there to be the uh, the, uh, the, the, the humorous guy who yeah. relaxed everyone. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think he'd be welcome. But, you know, I think he'd be welcome back because of his personality and, and, and the fact that, frankly, to be completely selfish about it, if you're a player on that team, you know that you need him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't know if he will. And, and he's rehabbing right now. I mean, he's had ankle surgery. Um, essentially has not had camp or played hockey all year and has come back from ankle surgery. Well, and to, to your point, uh, Pierre, that if he is able to come back and play at some sort of level, um, and Craig, you talked about it uh, earlier. I mean, this is a Winnipeg team that has fought through a lot of adversity, especially given what's happened on the blue line there. All of a sudden, maybe they're a team that, you know, like a St. Louis or like the LA Kings back in the day, come out of a wild card spot and they're going to be a handful if Dustin Bufflin's in that lineup and he can contribute in the way that we've seen him contribute in the past. So interesting. Uh, all right, Pierre, just before we go, here's I'll give you one. Justin Williams. Justin Williams. Game seven winner. <laughs> yes. Again, yeah. this spring. You're calling it? Oh, I'm calling it. Which round? Oh, Stanley, wow. St- Stanley Cup final or just to knock off the caps once again? Oh, my gosh. That's a nice little rivalry now, isn't it? Oh, it's glorious. Yeah. You know what? The Hurricanes, that was a big win for them the other night against Philly. They, they got to get going here. They're not They're yeah. not, uh, They're not. not assured of anything. It's funny. I mean, people love that team so much because of the way they play and all the talent they have. They, they've squandered away a lot of points in yeah. the last month. Well, I assume we're going to talk about uh, this when, when we reconvene with Craig for the full 60. But, yeah, there's a team that really has to be giving a hard look at, at, at its goaltending. And uh, I, I will, so I, I just want to go back to Justin Williams before we close. Uh, Pierre, I, I, I'm not sure people understood, but there was, a, there, were a, there was a lot of interest in Justin Williams, not just from Carolina. I think a lot of people just assumed, well, if he comes back, after taking a step back at the start of the season mm-hmm. to, to figure out his future, uh, that it would be Carolina or bust. And that wasn't necessarily the case. I don't know that Justin Williams ever looked elsewhere, to be honest. I mean, I think his family being in rally and, and his future beyond hockey, I think, will be to work with the Hurricanes. I think realistically, I don't know. But because the negotiations... Uh, kind of dragged on and, and it's a complicated 35 and over contract with all these bonuses and the hurricanes didn't have a lot of uh, cap space. Um, it, 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 it opened the door for other teams to, to call. And, and as I reported uh, this week, I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs did pitch him, <laughs> which was quite fascinating to me, actually uh, a, because I didn't know that the Leafs felt they needed a Ford but I think it probably speaks to the fact that Justin Williams brings a lot more than just what he brings on the ice to your dressing room, right? Um, and, of course, he's from Coburg, Ontario, just down the highway. Um, the Boston Bruins uh, inquired, um, and so and so did a, a couple of other teams. So they did, you know, my understanding is his agent, Thane Campbell, did certainly take calls from contenders, as I think you, you need to do in that situation because, again... The contract just seemed to drag on as far as, as figuring it out, but finally they did, of course, and 
and it's what Justin Williams, I think, wanted all along is just to come back with Carolina. But that that was an interesting thing. And listen, if you're a fan of the Bruins or the Leafs and and what and whatever other team inquired, you're happy to hear that they did. I mean, if Justin Williams is coming back to hockey, should do you not want to get in on that? Of course you do. Yeah. It, what do you think, Craig? Is it? I mean, and some there's a there is. I mean, some of it's a romantic notion. And Justin Williams is one of the. He may be one of the all-time great guys in a dressing room, not just to play alongside, but <laughs> yeah. like for us, right? I mean, he is there, he just he is able to synthesize the game and to share the emotion so eloquently. And you know, I mean, there's no no secret or no surprise that his importance to that Carolina team, you know, given what he brings, you know, the the, the whole storm surge thing and the the community that he created in the room. And by extension, within that marketplace, is is off the charts, and I, like I can completely get it. But he is also not a young man anymore. And I thought there were times last year where he, you could sense that he really he wanted to do so much, but you know, yeah, he, he has to sort of stay within himself. And this is, you know, Pierre, you make a good point. That's a really interesting Carolina team. They're they're way better, I think, than they were a year ago. It's a better team. I'm not sure the goaltending is going to hold up, but they're a better team from top to bottom. And it's going to be interesting to see how Rod Brindamore integrates Justin Williams into that lineup and what he brings and how he uses them. But Craig, do you do you have a do you like it? Are you are you looking forward to Justin Williams redux in yeah uh, like in Carolina? The league's a better place with Justin Williams in it. And you talk about like uh, just kind of how beloved he is to teammates and how great he is, you know, to interact with. I, I just remember in 2014 when he won the Conn Smythe, it was such a cool moment. You know, you guys have been there where they're, they have the trophies up at the table when they're talking to us. And he's, you know, I, I can vividly remember him like looking over the other names, you know, like staring at this trophy, had his kids with them. Um, like what a cool moment. And a guy that just clearly appreciates, you know, the history of it. And, and I just, yeah, I, I love that, and and I think that kind of having that emotional leader back in the in the mix in Carolina is pretty great for them. Yeah, good stuff. All right, you know and, what? And, 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 oh. no, and, and no one's happier than Chris Johnson, our good friend from Sportsnet. <laughs> That's right, fellow, fellow Coburg, Ontario native. I would That's never it. know that he anything about Coburg otherwise. Chris, by the way, <laughs> did a, a great piece on uh, hometown heroes, the uh, on yes. Coburg recently. Um, yep. I would encourage people to check it out. Really cool. Yeah, good stuff. All right, boys, we are going to wrap up this edition of Two Man Advantage and part of our mid-season extravaganza at The Athletic. And, Craig, uh, so much fun to have you aboard. Uh, it's and awesome. uh, Yeah, it's great to do it. And uh, my guess is that very quickly you, the three of us will reconvene on whatever your podcast is called and uh, <laughs> we'll have some more fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, as always, uh, thanks for dropping by, Craig. It was great. And Pierre, good work by you, and uh, and happy New Year to both of you. Let's uh, let's make it a, a fun twenty twenty. Right on, right on. 